Sports media free agency never ends. We'll talk about it, John. And we'll have one of the most important media analysts in the game, Jessica Reef Ehrlich of uh, Bank of America Securities, as our big get today to discuss Bob Iger's verbal bombs on CNBC last week. Well, the transformative work, of course, is, is making sure that our cost structure uh, reflects the, the economic realities of the business, and that includes disruption. Transformative work is dealing with businesses that are no-growth businesses and what to do about them, and particularly the linear business, which we are expansive in our thinking about, and we're going to look expansively about opportunities there because clearly it's a business that is going to continue to struggle. <laughs> And we're back. The Martian and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. John, let's get right to it. Who's up and who's down? Who's up? Who's down? All right, Andrew, get us started. John, my who's up is Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB insider. And you say, Andrew, Jeff Passan broke his back. Why is he who's up? Well, I'll tell you why he's who's up. Really serious uh, injury for Jeff Passan, but where that tree landed, uh, he could have could have been far worse uh, for Passan. I mean, he could have been paralyzed. He could have died. Uh, so he's a who's up because he's still tweeting. He's still going, and he's going to recover and be uh, back to normal and healthy um, relatively soon. So we're really glad to hear that. He had a good tweet. He, he said, breaking, colon, my back, uh, which was an excellent tweet. Uh, but he's my who's up because he's okay. He's going to be healthy and we wish him a speedy recovery. I encourage everybody to go take a look at his tweet. He showed a picture of that branch, Andrew. That was a massive branch that fell down. So get better soon, Jeff. I'm surprised that when you injured him, you didn't mention that he was a previous big get of this podcast, which uh, should be up there on his uh, resume, I think. 100%. My who's up is David Neal. He is the executive producer of the World Cup for Fox Sports. And he has said, he's told his colleagues that this is going to be his final event for Fox Sports. And I kind of wanted to take my hat off to him because he is the guy who has produced every single World Cup for Fox Sports. Some of the productions did not receive uh, critical acclaim in the press or on, on social media, but his productions brought fantastic ratings to Fox Sports, including the most watched soccer telecast of all time when the USA uh, women beat J uh, Japan and Canada. And and he, he really just kind of settled down the Fox productions, very well liked among the rank and file at Fox. And he was well liked by his bosses. Eric Shanks was effusive in his praise uh, uh, of David Neal uh, uh, earlier this week when, uh, when, when the announcement came through. So I wanted to give a quick hat tip to David Neal, longtime producer. He spent 30 years with uh, NBC doing the Olympics and NBA Finals, World Series. Uh, he's had his hands in everything. It's been a great career for him. Okay, my who's down is the New York Sports Radio Wars. And the reason is Craig Carton has left and gone to FS1. 
And what Carton takes with him is that WWE style that we first saw with Mike Francesa versus the Michael K show. So in New York, there's WFAN, the long time, the first sports radio station in the country. Uh, they've been around forever. They've been the dominant force uh, for decades. And then ESPN New York has had its moments. It's definitely the number two, kind of a Mets to the Yankees kind of situation. It's had its moments. Uh, K is beaten. Everybody at one time during the ratings books, but ultimately Francesa over time really dominated. And then Carton also got uh, the best of them, uh, especially after first seesawed, uh, he dominated Carton did after. But what is going to be missing is that the, the jerky factor. Uh, Francesa had a famous line where he called the K show saying they better bring more than pea shooters to the contest. And then Kay went on to eventually beat uh, Francesca at the end. Uh, Carton had um, just loves to just instigate, uh, had a big rant about there are winners and there are losers. Uh, and he was calling basically the Kay show losers uh, at that point after they started winning and then they didn't look back. He leaves. Uh, Tiki Barber takes his place. You know, we'll see how he does in terms of the ratings. But the one thing I just don't see, I don't see the animosity between the two stations, which really made the contest come alive. Maybe someone else will emerge uh, and bring that to the battle. But uh, that little fun that they had, the WWE, WFAN style, I think goes with Carton going full time at FS1 in the mornings uh, for a big payday. Andrew, I got a, a question for New York-based media reporters. Every quarter, I always wait for the reporters to come out and, and talk about the Nielsen ratings, and, uh, and uh, they all get talked about on the radio, and it's always been a lot of fun. Are you saying that's going to stop? No, no, no. They'll still be reported. I just think the animosity is kind of gone. And quite honestly, uh, FAN is dominating ESPN New York. ESPN overall has kind of gotten out of radio and so right now it's not much of a contest. When it was a seesaw battle, when Francesa was you know, saying how dominant he was, and then Kay was coming back at him, uh, it got a little personal. And Carton brought that as well. So I think that would be missing. Now, we'll still report on it. It just kind of has lost a little bit of his vigor if you don't have at least one person who's sort of um, not being classy. All right, so my who's down, and uh, this pains me because it's uh, this guy, he's a nice guy, and he's an interim guy. But Mike Connolly is the person who runs Bally Sports Arizona right now. And he's a uh, Bally Sports Arizona one week ago was a full fledged RSN. It had a Major League Baseball team in the Diamondbacks, it had an NBA team in the Suns, it had the, uh, an NHL team as well. Today, they only have an NHL team and they're in the desert, Andrew. Uh, the, uh, the, the Suns, uh, the uh, Bally Sports Arizona said that they, they were not going to match a deal that great television did with, uh, with the Suns. So those rights are all going to go to local broadcast television. And just this week, Diamond told the Diamondbacks that they were going to walk up away from that contract. They couldn't come to a deal. So those rights are now going to MLB. And it doesn't really take a soothsayer to take a look at the Arizona market and take a look at that RSN. And it's going from three teams to just one team. The future does not look bright for Bally Sports Arizona. All right, Andrew, topic number one for this pod every week, ESPN, the future of ESPN. We're going to hold on that this week because later on we're going to have Jessica Reefer come on to talk about it. That's going to be a fascinating discussion. I can't wait for that. But let's get into some stories that, that you've been breaking. And it's not quite the NFL free agency of last year. 
but there is some NFL free agency uh, moves that are happening specifically with ESPN studio show, uh, Monday night football countdown. What's going on? So it's coming down to Scott Van Pelt or Laura Rutledge to replace Susie Colber. Colber was let go uh, during the mass um, layoffs a couple weeks ago that created the opening. I think SVP has the inside positioning. Um, I think they want to expand uh, Van Pelt's role and be more involved in the big events. Uh, And so I, I think he probably gets it. It's also when you look at logistically, it's a little bit simpler with Van Pelt because he's already doing the post game. Uh, he would do the pregame as well. Uh, I don't. It's not a done deal yet, and they are considering other people. Uh, but I think he probably gets it because Rutledge does NFL Live. She's excellent. Um, I, I think that would be a good choice as well. Um, but you probably have to travel the whole NFL Live crew, uh, which I'm not sure they want to do that, especially in cost cutting mode. Uh, so I think Van Pelt probably gets it. Um, but uh, but it's going to be Van Pelt or Rutledge unless there's some kind of wild card, which I don't foresee. All right. So let's say it goes to SVP. Will he still do the post game and, and uh, uh, following the Monday Night Football game? Yeah, well, I think the big thing with SVP, I think they probably try to do a new contract with him. You know, he's kind of been behind uh, in terms of I mean, he's making a lot of money, but, you know, it's kind of been um, not the best job in terms of you know, where he should be um, compared to other people. When you look at the importance, when we talk about the untouchables and you know, top five people, uh, you know, there, you know, we mentioned Stephen A's, uh, maybe the McAfee's now, uh, Greenberg, Wilbon, I could go on. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of them, but SVP is always up there. If he's not, you know, top, he's definitely top five, if not higher. Um, but his pay hasn't gotten there. Do they do a new deal with him? Uh, and then, Maybe he cuts back a little bit. He was on our buddy Jimmy Trainer's podcast a couple of weeks ago saying he doesn't plan on doing that um, 11 o'clock sports center forever. So this could be a time where this kind of where he's more involved in the big events here. He does the post games uh, on these big events. So I would think he's the inside track. And I think those are some of the machinations that could happen uh, in, in coordination with this potential move. OK, yes or no question. Is Laura Rutledge one of the untouchables at ESPN? She should be. I mean, if, if I'm buying stock, she's one of the people I'm buying stock in. She's excellent. Uh, she's a hard worker. That's what I like. Um, you know, she's on the SEC network on Saturday. She does NFL Live. I believe she moved to Bristol to be more, you know, in studio uh, to make it life easier. Uh, I think she did that recently. She'd be a priority if I was ESPN. I feel like she's the type of person that they would, should want to keep um, and make a centerpiece of uh, their future. It would seem to me, though, if Scott Van Pelt wants that position, that it's going to go to him. Or is, is it not, not not as black and white as that? I think he's going to get it. But I, I think it's still like a lot of this stuff, it's, it's still it's still moving. You know, it's not done yet. So you can't say it's a done deal. But yeah, I think they like, like we, just, we talked about the importance of Van Pelt. So I think they'd like to make his role bigger around these big events. Let's go off of the NFL. We have uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Famously part of the layoffs a, a, a couple of weeks ago at, at ESPN, uh, you and I both view Jeff Van Gundy as the top game analyst in the NBA, uh, I, I think across networks. Um, there is now a hole on ESPN's number one NBA uh, game team. Who do you see as most likely to fill that role? 
Well, we talked about this last week, and and I mentioned it in that first when I when I had the story that Van Gundy was getting laid off. I mentioned Doris Burke. I mentioned Doc Rivers in that story, uh, and then last week we spoke about the idea of Breen, who's very close with Doc Rivers, and Doris Burke, um, the th- that being the three person team, and what that would mean for Mark Jackson. Um, other people have picked up on that as well. Chad Finn of the Boston Globe tweeted out that nothing was imminent, but uh, added that, you know, it, it could be uh, Doris Burke and Doc Rivers joining Mike Breen. It's premature at this point. That's why I kind of couched it last week. Um, but yeah, I think there's a very good possibility that could happen. And then Mark Jackson's moved down to the second team. So that that's one uh, way it, it breaks. And I'd say the NBA likes that idea, uh, from what I understand, uh, which is usually very important, even though... ESPN might downplay it, you know, when you talk to people. I do think that's important going into a big rights negotiation. You would like the NBA to be happy uh, if you're ESPN, even though everyone expects them to re-up. So uh, I could see that. Um, I think I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen. This is like the danger of doing podcasts and the Internet now, because like even like the Chad Finn thing took off. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I haven't talked to Chad, but he didn't really fully report it. It's like one of those things. He didn't fully, he report. Didn't fully report it because he just put it out on Twitter. I yeah, bet you he put it out there and then it gets picked up. I think with the NBA central, if that's the Twitter feed, like there's some Twitter feeds, they pick up all these, like, if you say anything, you know, they kind of take what you say and then boost it up a couple of notches. And so then it's like a full report. And I, mean, I don't want to get fully into this. Maybe another day when, you know, maybe in the summer we could go into this because it is a topic that I think a lot of reporters you know, uh, and then, you know, Winhurst and Bill Simmons, a lot of people have talked about this before, you know, you get aggregated on this stuff. And so it's sort of like, no, I didn't report that. I mean, for me, I always, I'm always like, well, I can only control what I can do, you know, what other people, how they take it or not. It's like, I can only do the right thing there to me. Like you always just wanted to be right. So you don't, you know, you don't want to get ahead of it. So, but the bottom line is, yeah. I mean, I mentioned JJ Reddick, uh, previously to it, that, that first story and Richard Jefferson, I don't think they're, I think they could be a future team. Um, but I don't think they're there yet. I'd be not surprised, but I just don't think like, I think Doris probably has the inside track on that one, at least for one of the spots. All right. And before we get to our next, uh, uh, topic here among the broadcasting moves, I feel like I should, uh, tell the listeners that undisputed is a studio show that's on, uh, FS1. Uh, it doesn't get a, a, a ton of viewership, but boy, it gets a lot of reporting on it because it is a show that is hosted by Skip Bayless. And you have some information on who is likely to be uh, taking over the empty seat because Shannon Sharp uh, left the show and uh, it's now Skip and they're trying to find somebody to take on Skip as their first take style show over there. Uh, you you listed a name uh, earlier this week. Who was it? Richard Sherman. But let me just actually before that, let me defend FS1, who I kill all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> I actually that show actually does okay. Like I don't know the exact numbers just off hand right now, but it's probably around a hundred thousand people, which in comparison to ESPN is much less. But ESPN has a much better. Uh, lead in and especially the night previous they have a you know a, a plethora of tremendous games including monday night football would you say i have a plethora when people love to compare that stuff it's not apples to apples so i would say undisputed actually does it's like uh in baseball they have uh wins over replacement i think it does 
<laughs> we need to develop that for TV ratings. Absolutely. I think it does better than you think. So anyways, Richard Sherman uh, is a candidate. I think is pretty inspired potential choice. I've mentioned Keyshawn Johnson, who also could be a good choice, perhaps if they could, if it's not Richard Sherman. I do think I was talking to uh, my colleague who's has, you know, one of the most interesting minds in sports media, Ryan Glassbeagle. He made a good point that maybe Richard Sherman only does a couple of days. Is he a Monday, Tuesday guy? And then maybe they have other people the other day. So he's off of the NFL and then he does Thursday Amazon. I could see that. And then maybe that morphs into something else. I think that's a, a good thought. I haven't been told that, but a good thought from Glass. Um, so to, to watch. But Richard Sherman, I, what, do you, what do you think of that choice? You, you apparently don't watch the show at all. I think this, Andrew. First take has decided that they, they're they going to have a rotating group of, uh, of co-hosts uh, to pair with Stephen A. Smith. And the one thing I know about television is that if you see something that works, it gets copied ad nauseum. So a uh, good shout out to Ryan Glass-Beagle. I think he's probably right. I think that you could see a, a, a rotating list of guest hosts uh, there to be paired with Skip Bayless, who, regardless of who you put against him, is going to be the star of the show. Yeah, that was good. Good dodging. Um, I don't really watch it either. So um, I don't watch any of those shows. I, I put them on sometimes, or I watch the clips. I, I did. I can't sit here all day, and I got work to do. You can't. These uh, stories don't just find themselves. All right, John, let's hit a couple more uh, quick ones. Women's World Cup and MLS. Let's talk some soccer here. Uh, when you look at the Women's World Cup, begins this upcoming Friday. Um, it's all the way around the world uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Time difference. Uh, what's your feeling going into this? Uh, I think it's going to be a great uh, opening a bit for Fox. And the reason is, even though it's all the way around the world and the time zones are awful, uh, the first two uh, U.S. games are going to be at 9 p.m. on the East Coast, right in prime time for Fox. Uh, the uh, U.S. women's national team, going back to the late 1990s, you know, they, they, they've been a force and have brought out a ton of viewers. And anybody that's listened to our podcast, Andrew, one big trend in in sports media has been the growth of women's sports uh, and not just women's soccer. And so I think all of these forces are going to uh, coalesce to where Fox is going to do really, really well from a, from a viewership perspective. And if the U.S. advances, as we expect, and continues to win, it's just going to uh, go from strength to strength to strength for Fox. All right. I was very positive about their um, men's World Cup coverage. So we'll see how the women's World Cup coverage goes for Fox. You did not get that sarcasm. I did. I got that sarcasm. <laughs> I gave you, I, I, in fact, when I did my uh, who's up of David Neal, I mentioned that there was a, there, there were some critics and I paused because I wanted, wanted to give you an entryway. Yeah, you I, well, you're saying something nice about the man. I didn't want to like be like, nah, I didn't like the coverage. I, mean, I was just going to let it go. I was like, even surprised that you said, I kind of liked it that you did, but, um, but I was a little surprised that you said it because I thought we were just saying something nice about the man. You know, he's had a great career. Uh, but anyways, we'll, we'll watch and we'll critique. They really appreciated it. Fox sports when we critiqued it every, uh, podcast, they, they, they said, keep it coming. I'm only kidding. Uh, all right, let's go to the MLS at their all-star break. It's in your right around the corner in Washington, DC. They brought in a guy, a little guy named Lionel Messi in, uh, which is a big, big deal. Uh, they had the unveiling the other day. Uh, he's going to play. He's going to be in games. Can I say one thing about Messi? 
I will watch any social media video of him in a supermarket. I don't, it was hypnotic. That was, that was, it was, it was good. I mean, I don't know if that was like a publicity stunt with like Publix as a sponsor, whatever it was. Uh, I, I tweeted out that Apple should just have like messy doing like random things around the United States. <laughs> uh, and I think that would get a lot of people to, to, to tune in uh, and pay the, the fee for the uh, MOS season pass uh let's what do you think overall of uh how it's doing uh for mls and the season i mean they struggled a little bit with the uh opening the production there was a monsoon going on in miami at the time so i'll, I'll give them a little bit of a break for that no maybe. break it's apple no to call me it's apple number one and then when i get these like emails about how they're gonna have extra cameras what do you think espn cbs nbc fox do for big events could you imagine if uh, espn went off the uh, went off the air because of a little bit of rain in, in the stadium yeah that wasn't good i want to say a couple of nice things about mls because i think that it's been a pretty good start to the season and there have been some real positives i think for their um for their media deal with apple i think uh if you talk to mls fans they all believe that the quality of the coverage has been enhanced, especially coming from uh, local RSN deals where, you know, they, they had like not a lot of cameras. You know, like it, it's the quality of the coverage is good. And that's sort of Apple's hallmark. I find that putting the games on different days, like Saturday night is MLS night, the accessibility of the games for everybody, you know, again, if you're a fan, you know, that you can get to see a game on Saturday night on Apple TV, you know where to go, how to see it. I think that that's something that... You think that stays? Because I think I'd get rid of it. I mean, I would maybe have the majority of the game. I thought you get, had a good point where you suggested Monday Night Messy. Like you sort of break yeah. out a game like that. But I do think having like, hey, Saturday night is MLS night for, for the majority of games, I think is a, is, is a good deal. Look, Apple does not share data and viewership. Uh, we will never know how they're really doing. Uh, you've said this multiple times in the past. No, uh, nobody ever announces bad news. So like, we don't, we don't know like what, 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 what the, uh, what's going on. The fact that we're having not, don't have announcements, the fact that we don't know what the uh, viewership numbers are, we just don't know. And I think that that's a, uh, that, that suggests that they're not quite a problem, but it, it makes it an incomplete mark for the halfway mark for me. No doubt about it. So it'll be interesting. Messi, I mean, I, I wonder if we'll hear some numbers now that Messi's involved. Um, you know, that that would be interesting if we suddenly hear numbers because, like I said, I thought you almost pay anything for Messi. Uh, you know, he he's there's only one Messi. There's just, it's not, there's nobody. Number two, I know you brought up David Beckham. This we is have Wayne Rooney here in D.C. Wayne Rooney. He loves Wayne Rooney. And like even Ronaldo, Ronaldo's somewhat there. Messi is different. It's going to be interesting. You know, the one thing that I think is a factor, though, is Miami's not a good team, right? Like I I have like, you know, in my basement, I have like, you know, this is funny for MLS people. I have like 15, 18 of um, scarves on the walls. I have soccer scarves all around, around the uh, the basement. Um, and so I so I, I'm into MLS. I don't follow as closely. I do know Miami's not good. So does Messi change that? Obviously, they're bringing a couple other guys. And so um, maybe. But he does stand around. Like, it's going to be interesting. He does stand around all game. He, I mean, he did in the World Cup, and then he does some magic. So it's like it will be interesting how people react when he's just standing around and if they lose 3 nothing, uh, If you were like, what the heck? Uh, who aren't, you know, big fans and don't understand it. So that should be fun. Let's move on to the final topic before we get to the big get. Wimbledon, uh, Djokovic, Alcaraz. What a uh, final match. 
um, for the on the men's side. Goes five sets, goes all day. Um, coverage was we can get to that if we want, but the big number for ESPN it was up seven percent for all viewers and plus ten percent uh, for eighteen to forty nine uh, compared to two thousand twenty two. So a huge number for Wimbledon, a big day for tennis there. I didn't like the idea that ESPN did have people involved, but they take the world feed instead of having their own people. And I think you missed something with that. Yeah, cost cutting is a, is a killer, but it's a biggest viewership since pre pandemic. Uh, that's something that ESPN can hang a hat on. And it's good to see new blood coming into to tennis and uh, new young players that are starting to, to challenge a little bit more. So it, it speaks well, highly of where tennis is headed. Definitely. And with the coverage, I thought if you listen to Fowler's final call, wasn't great. There's a pause there. I don't know if he was waiting for the PA announcer to say the final score to the crowd, but there's a weird pause there. Um, not a, not like a historic match. Didn't necessarily have that perfect. It was okay. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't great um, for that final call. They kept showing like the King of Spain and identifying people in coach's box. I thought that was something that was missing a little bit, which also sometimes, you know, they don't know where the world feeds exactly going. Uh, so that makes it a little more difficult. You need to be very skilled at the play-by-play position to be able to identify those people very quickly. Um, and they did sometimes, but not enough, in my opinion, especially as the audience got larger. And in theory, you have people who don't know everything about these guys and their uh, uh, coaches and, and who, who, we're, who we're looking at here when, when we're watching. So, uh, But overall, a good day for tennis and uh, ESPN uh, to, to have that final uh, and just an epic match. Andrew, let's uh, get to our big get segment. Anybody who has been around media and entertainment business for the past three decades knows our guest, Jessica Reefer. Like, she's probably the most influential financial analyst in the media and entertainment sector. Her exact title, Senior Media and Entertainment Analyst for Bank of America Securities. Uh, I've covered everything she's written back going back into the mid-90s. I'm thrilled, legitimately thrilled have you on this podcast, Jessica. Oh my God, John, that is such an intro. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks, Jessica. Let, let's just start off. Uh, Bob Iger's comments, we began the show with them uh, that he made on CNBC. I think most of our audience is aware, uh, but he did mention the idea of um, some kind of strategic partnership for ESPN and then maybe selling uh, or at least reimagining how uh, they operate the ABC and their linear networks for Disney. So just overview for you, when you heard his comments, what was your take? What's your, what's your thoughts um, when you think about what Iger said last week? Well, it's a little bit reminiscent of when Bob got on a call in August, I don't know, eight years or so ago, and you know, kind of warned everybody ESPN subs were slowing and that caused like massive gyrations in the stock and, and all of the media stocks. Uh, Bob Iger is incredibly you know, strategic and thoughtful and he calls it as it is. And that was a very surprising interview. It was really long and he went into a lot of detail on, on many parts of their business. He, he's obviously thought about it. He's not wrong, but what's interesting is that he's going to do something about it. He's the first traditional media executive to say, wait, we see where the wind's blowing. We've got to like take control. And so you know that there is going to be a lot of pieces being moved around in coming years. Strategically, why did he do that, do you think? It will, depending on what they do, change the growth trajectory of Disney. 
because now they're fighting these massive headwinds. Um, you know, so either you can bleed slowly or you can change your asset mix and change the course of, of the company. And I think that's what the, what you'd like to do. And there are many potential ways they can achieve that. The, the idea, Jessica, of, of bringing in a strategic partner for ESPN is something that, that got my sort of five alarm uh, bells going off. I have a two part question here. The first is, who do you see as the, as the most likely strategic investors to come in to, uh, to support ESPN? That was definitely the most interesting thing that Bob said. Um, and it was a kind of a new, uh, for us, it was a new direction for ESPN. In the past, when we've written about what might happen with ESPN, it was, do they keep it? Do they spin it? Do they sell it? it we've never really considered them bringing in a strategic partner, which really changes everything. Um, and what he said was interesting. The way he said it was they're looking for a strategic partner uh, and it could be content or distribution. He mentioned like briefly, you know, de-risking. So there was some financial aspect potentially to it. And I know there was an article you wrote earlier this week, which I was surprised at for some of the people that you spoke to, because it's a lot of these people were suggesting private equity and private equity to me is not strategic. It's financial. Just let me point out, Jessica, good job basically saying John's totally wrong, which I read that story <laughs> and I said, you know what? I, I don't think so. Thank you, Jessica. Good yeah. job. Right, good job. So, so, so you are saying that you, you don't think private equity? No, though it wasn't. It wasn't even. You didn't say it was your opinion. It was the people that you I'm spoke kidding. to were suggesting that. But what was interesting to me was if you listen to Bob, he said exactly what you just said, which is strategic. And so the first thing you think of when he said uh, that I thought of when he said content distribution, maybe a little bit financial. It just screams one company, and that company is Comcast. So I, I could be completely wrong, but they're clearly in, <clears throat> in negotiation for, you know, you know the Hulu outcome, um, which kind of seemed like on a path that Disney was, you know, it's a put call, Disney would buy it. But now it's much more interesting. Comcast has so many sports assets and sports aspirations. Uh, they obviously have distribution. Um, they have an amazing balance sheet. They have a company that's kind of, become mid-size. It's not, it's not big, it's not small in NBC Universal. And there's been tons and tons of speculation in media that they are very interested in NBA. Um, and what Bob said as part of this strategic negotiation was it's likely before NBA, you know, before they finalize the NBA negotiation. So that's why it screams Comcast to me. I mean again, it could be a fang, it could be PE, you know, private equity, it could be, could be a million things, but who brings more to the table? And it makes it so interesting because it's a way for maybe Disney to delever. Um, it, it's a way for them to be, to make ESPN is the most important sports brand. I don't think any of us would argue that point. And this is a way to maybe really strengthen it and make it just, you know, like you can't, I, I, is there a word unchallengeable? Like, you know, where, where it's just so dominant that, you know, nobody could dare, you know, kind of compete with them. Let me ask a quick question based on Comcast. That almost doesn't sound like a strategic partner. That, that sounds like almost an outright sale, no? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the banker and I'm, you know, certainly, uh, I, I think that there are many for, you know, forms that can come in, you know, whether it's a joint venture or some kind of a partnership or a, I, 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 
Bob didn't say they want to sell ESPN. He said he wanted to bring in a strategic partner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if I just take him for his word, and he's usually pretty open, you know, when he kind of calls it as he sees it, um, that's what he said, a strategic partner. So maybe there's a way, I don't know who's the 51% owner in this, but there is a, um, there, there are some interesting combinations that could be had. So what would what does Comcast offer specifically that helps ESPN? Well, Comcast has tremendous amount of sports assets, various sports networks and sports um, ownerships. The wrong word, but you know they have a lot of sports properties that they've you know that they have the rights to. Um, and so there's there's a ton of stuff there. Uh, Comcast obviously has distribution. I, I have no idea if it is Comcast, if Peacock, you know, it's an if, 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 but if it was Comcast, if Peacock would or would not be included in this, would the cable, they, or they look, what they have, what Comcast has is very significant distribution. It's, it's very significant video, very significant broadband. They have a broadcast network. I think for the NBA, NFL, we know for major sports, they absolutely want to have reach. And what, you know, is reaches, um, you know, broad reach is still broadcast and cable, uh, but you've got broadband and direct to consumer. Uh, so there's, there's, there, and, and Comcast has an amazing balance sheet. So, and this is a company that kind of, I think, needs to figure out themselves how they get bigger. Andrew and I are very myopic about sports media. So we, we're, we're, we're so interested in, in ESPN. You look at all of Disney. Would you say that Disney is a stronger asset right now? without ESPN, given the headwinds that ESPN faces? No, I think sports is probably the most important genre in, in content, like it, it, at all, you know, it's it's the one, uh, you know, piece of content that, that still commands massive eyeballs, massive, uh, you know, it's live and it's important for advertising. And I think ESPN is really important, but they have to kind of, you know, solidify the, their distribution and if if the linear universe continues to fall apart then they have to be able to transition to streaming and be be stronger disney's balance sheet's a little stretched thanks to covid also thanks to the hulu put call maybe a little more they need to reinstate a dividend um they've got to invest in well of course they'll invest in parks but they really need to invest in in disney plus um so there's there's, there's a lot of areas where they need to put money. They, they have to fix Marvel, which is, you know, like a, the whole film division is is kind of a shell of what it was. So there are a lot of areas that are crying for capital at the moment. So shoring up their balance sheet would, would be a great thing. There's, on Comcast, before we move off of Comcast, though, and I'm just, you know, going off of what you're saying, but isn't the issue, though, that ESPN has is the cable bundle, you know, diminishing, um, and I feel like that's what Comcast would bring more to the equation is that they obviously have um, great distribution through cable, but where things are going uh, is streaming. Um, and so, like, I, I think the issue to me is that, you know, one of the issues is that with, you know, with the rights deals is you're just leasing sports, right? So, um, you know, Apple or Amazon, which are obviously the big bad wolves that are out there potentially that could really hurt ESPN and these other companies, 
they can outspend for the, you know, they can outspend ESPN eventually when those rights come up, if they want to, um, does Comcast solve that problem or, you know, and, and, and there's a two part question. Did they solve that problem? And when you look at other entities that could be strategic partners, you know, everyone obviously points to Apple all the time for everything. Cause they have so much money and who they are on Amazon. Um, who else would you see? And, um, so that's like a two-parter there about Comcast in terms of, uh, you know, what, in terms of distribution, where things are going, and then also um, these tech companies that perhaps um, could be other players in this. So let's take that in, in pieces. So on the Comcast part of that uh, comment slash question, uh, they have distribution. Yes, they have cable distribution and video subs, but they have cable networks and they have a broadcast network, um, but they also have broadband um, you know, like distribution and they have Peacock, so they have a streaming platform, small, but you know, probably getting bigger because they just, uh, they're weaning their Comcast subs off of free and, and forcing them to pay. So we'll see what happens with the subs in the next two quarters. So they kind of have it all. And they also have sports rights that are very meaningful. They have NFL um, and many, many other rights, golf. I mean, they have a ton of stuff. Olympics, I mean, like, like uh, how about the Olympics? So, I mean, they have a ton of stuff. So Comcast brings a lot to the party, but you're right. It, it, it could be other companies. Apple's always mentioned with Disney, uh, going back to the Steve Jobs relationship and and and, um, and Disney buying Pixar from, from them. So, uh, you know, Apple is increasing their presence. They've got the major league sports. They, you, know, they, they, you know, they have other sports. So they're, they're absolutely increasing uh, their sports presence. And, you know, who knows, it's hard for me to say what, what Apple's intentions are, but that's clearly a possibility. I wouldn't rule out Amazon and I wouldn't even rule out Netflix, but, you know, they, they've said they don't want to be in, you know, they, they don't want to lose money in sports and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough business for many, but, you know, so it could be, it could be one of many entities. I was just saying like my immediate reaction was, was one company, but it could be anything. I have no idea what the conversations are. All those uh, companies already are losing a lot of money in sports uh, with, with some of the deals that they have. Um, Jessica, one of the, uh, uh, since we started doing this podcast just about two years ago, one of our parlor games has been talking about when we think ESPN, the mothership, is going to go direct to consumer. Um, Bob Iger said during that interview that he knows the date. He just isn't ready to, to talk about it. Um, when, when do you think that is? I don't know, but they, they really, it, it, it seems like they'll do a hybrid model for a while. I mean, why push your viewers off a cliff as other traditional, some other traditional media companies, not to be mentioned, not to be named, but you know, like why push them off when you're, you're, you're generating 6 billion plus of cash from your cable networks, why do that? So I think there'll be a transition period um, I think the most interesting thing is how they price ESPN plus as they do this, because they're clearly not, you know, they're not going to get the subsidy of every, of every viewer as they, or every subscriber as they had in, in, in the golden days of cable bundle. And well, I think, yeah, I think the idea that they're going to have is ESPN would remain on cable and then they would have a direct to consumer option. I think that's what their plan is. Um, do you, but do you think, does that, does that have a big impact? Um, because like, as we go further and talk about it more and I do more reporting on it, I think obviously it's going to have a big impact, but 
I think there's a pretty good argument that that might not be as big an impact that people who have cable, you know, where the cable bundle has gone down to, that maybe it's not, um, I don't know if it's going to be as earth shattering as an event as maybe we once thought, because it's not going to be, there's going to, like you said, they're not just going to turn off cable and just say, go direct to consumer. They're going to do both and see how it goes. And, but I guess when they diversify like that, what type of impact do you think it will have? Well, I think what you said is the key is, you know, by not turning people off and forcing them, like, didn't something happen like with the golf game a few weeks ago when CBS kind of turns it off and, and forced people to go onto Paramount Plus? I like, People are furious. Like you can't, you can't force you know viewers into an uncomfortable zone or or force them to buy something. So Disney in this kind of hybrid model or transition model, you're not forcing people to make a choice, and you're not like sacrificing your basic business either. So it's 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 it seems like a kind of a much more methodical, thoughtful approach, you know. And I, I don't know like if there's a giant cost to keeping both at the same time, but it's uh, it it just seems that it, it kind of Maybe it slows the pace of the loss on, of, of cable, the cable cash that they have coming in. In, in his interview last week, uh, Iger really surprised me by how negative he was about traditional linear television. I mean, I, my head's not in the sand. I know it's, it, it's, a, it's a tough business moving forward, but he said that it was even worse than he thought given his, uh, his year away from, uh, from Disney. Actually, I guess it was more than a year. Um, how bad is the traditional linear TV business right now, Jessica? Well, you know, I, I actually agree with your comment, meaning, you know, we all thought radio would go away when you had, you know, Spotify and all these other choices, Sirius XM. And, you know, radio's here. It's not growing. It's, you know, growing one or two percent and the cutting costs are like kind of, but it's it's still around. So it did seem incredibly negative. And in some ways, I think we will still have television uh, for a long, long time. I think the pace of the cable, you know, subscribe, the decline, the, the accelerated de- decline has really surprised people this year has just been awful um in terms of video subs so you know i i look they need reach they need to improve that it's just a slow bleed on linear right now and they're just cutting cutting you know costs to like maintain a profit you know like to just stay flat It, it so it's tough but it's you know like also there could be there could be many linear assets for sale in the next couple of years. You know, it feels like that, like it's going to be a lot of transition in media. Were, were you surprised by the aspect of, uh, of taking, I mean, one of Bob Iger's big purchases before he left the first time was, uh, was buying all those entertainment channels from, uh, from Fox. And now those are, I, I guess, apparently up for sale. That, that's what I took from that. Yeah. I mean, it remains to be seen what, you know, you know, <laughs> What he sells or it spins or disposes of, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see. Is it ABC and ABC stations as well? Maybe it is, but it's, it does seem like they're dismantling Fox because another report earlier in the week was that they were, you know, hoping to sell Star TV, which mm-hmm. for a long time was was a big growth engine for Fox, and it's just been a disaster since Disney's taken it over. I mean, really, they've lost their profitability has gone down. It's a challenge. Whose strategy do you like? Like, Which strategy do you say, you know what, I really like what they're doing um, in terms of the networks and, and even the digital players? I mean, Netflix is, is, is just is head and shoulders above everybody else at the moment because they have everything to gain and nothing to lose. By, by going into the ad, ad business right now, it's a tepid market. They, you know, they talk about 
a crawl, walk, and run. And they're in the crawl stage in a crappy market. So they have nothing to lose. They're learning the business. They have Microsoft as a partner. And it's like a five-year growth trajectory, if not longer, for them. Uh, the password sharing crackdown seems to be incredibly successful. They report tomorrow night. But you know, they're, whether it's subs, people creating their own accounts, or just new members within a household at another $7.99 a month, at least, um, or people going to the ads here and you know hire our pro. It, it, like, it, they have clear growth drivers and this writers and actors, now actors strike, this dual strike, which is such a disaster potentially for you know most of the media companies if, it go, if it's extended. Uh, for, for someone like Netflix, you know, and it's been widely reported, I'm not saying anything new, they've sourced content globally for a long time. So many of us watch shows with subtitles. I mean, I was a foreign film fanatic anyway, but you know, I feel like the U.S. has been trained now to watch, you know, local language or foreign language content. Um, so they probably can weather the storm better in any event. But it's so they're operating from a position. It's just completely different. You know, they don't they're not losing a legacy business. The video sub loss means that the linear subs are coming onto streaming and and who's the biggest streamer. So that's a different story. Harder to tell, you know, what's really going on at Apple and Amazon. You know, there's been a lot of uh Recent press reports about Amazon even finally looking at their spending, which has been ginormous uh, in content and wouldn't be tolerated at a traditional media company. Um, the one company that's kind of been wiped, you know, in the like press, I, I, I like the poster trial for everything that can go wrong, but they really have amazing assets is Warner Brothers Discovery. The, their library is not just the biggest, it's one of the best. It's very, very deep. It's very extensive. It covers every you know, genre. Uh, they just launched, not relaunched, but launched Max in the end of May. And so we really haven't seen what they can do with the assets they have. They've been cutting and reorganizing for the last year. And you know, look, they've made some blunders. Uh, many of it, you know, they've, they've brought on themselves. Some of it, you know, they have secular and cyclical challenges like everyone else. But if you step back and look at the asset mix, there's a lot there. And so you think they're going to start spending now? You know, to the extent that they, if, if, as long as they start to bring leverage down, which we believe they will, we believe they've done an amazing job. Gunnar Wiedenfels, the CFO, has done an amazing job bringing the cost down and really looking at this company with a, like, in a way, nobody's looked at it. Like, all the silos at the old Time Warner have finally been broken down, like sports advertising at Turner was never commingled with entertainment advertising, nor CNN's news advertising. And now it's all under one umbrella, as it should be. So um, so that, I think, is a, a real positive. But to the extent that you know, either advertising starts to come back, their movies start to work, video games so far have done better than anyone expected. As revenue comes back, I think they'll spend. I, th I do think they're very, very interested in NBA, and they've walked back some of those comments that they've made. It's, it's it's a very important piece of property for them to keep. Jessica, I want I want to ask you uh, real quick uh, about the NBA. Uh, the biggest story on our beats for the uh, over the next couple of years. If you were advising the NBA right now, uh, they they want of course money, they want distribution, and they want to get younger. What are the what are the most advantageous companies out there right now that can provide all that? Well, it's a combination, of course. So you still, despite Bob Iger's comments, you, you, you probably still want to have broadcast slash cable reach because it's, it's older, 
that's true, but you know, the, there, it, there's a lot of reach and not all of them are on streaming. But you do want the younger generation, right? You want that next fan base, you have to be on streaming. So, I mean, we all know who the players are there. And then, um, you know, money, like deeper pockets would be an Apple or an Amazon. Like, you know, I, I, I'd be shocked if Netflix came in, but who knows, I, you know, but it's, um, but for somebody like, I mean, look, the speculation as you guys know way, way better than me is that ESPN, Warner Brothers Discovery, maybe NBCU and then either Apple or Amazon, like three, three or four players. Uh, will come in and and a fan can come in and make up a big part of the difference. Like if, if Warner Brothers Discovery and ESPN get, I'm going to make up a number, 75 or 80% of what they had before at a slight increase in price or, a, you know, a, a, an increase in price that they can live with, a, a fan can make up the difference easily. And it would be like a blip on their balance sheet. Netflix, uh, do, you, do you see them getting into sports eventually? Is that inevitable? It's not inevitable. It's interesting that they've made such an impact in sports without being in, in live sports, whether it's their impact on Formula One or tennis um, or their recent, like, you know, supposedly they recently outbid ESPN for that NFL documentary. Um, it, you know, they, 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 and it becomes more important with advertising, you, you know, because there's a lot of sports advertising money. It's, 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 the, the demographics are, we know, younger male. Um, so it's it's important for them to, to be around sports. I don't know that they need to own live sports. So, they, I mean, their live business in general is, is sort of a, a work in progress. Yeah, but when you say their impact on sports, like I kind of feel like it's a little bit overrated, Netflix's impact. You know, I, yes, they've had these documentaries, um, but they're kind of not playing the same game as, you know, ESPN or NBC or Fox or CBS with the rights that they're getting and the audience that they're bringing in. Um, but do you feel like those documentaries that they've had, and yes, they've had an impact um, and they've gotten good publicity and we don't know, I don't think the exact numbers because like ESPN and these others also like ESPN especially does documentaries and they've had some, a lot of acclaimed documentaries that doesn't seem to impact the bottom line. Do you think it on a streaming service and subscription base, does that impact it more or just more um, just good publicity that they're getting uh, for doing these shows? What they've done for Formula One is, is pretty impressive. I mean, Formula One was around for a long time. It was on NBC for a long time and it never was as popular as it is now. And I think Netflix deserves some, some credit for that. Um, I mean, tennis was always popular, so I can't, you know, give them, like, hand them a silver platter, but it's, you know, they've made a dent in the sports that they have had, but they're not, in no way, shape, or form are they replacing live sports. That's not what I meant to say. All right, so Jessica, uh, you know, I want to get back to the Iger interview for one one last question, because something that we didn't talk about, but another thing that really, really surprised me is uh, ABC also being... An, an asset that that he appears to be looking to get to get rid of. How do you think that will affect some of ESPN's rights negotiations? Because they uh, part of what ESPN brings to the table is that they have broadcast reach as well. Absolutely, which is why I said earlier that I thought Comcast would be an interesting partner because they have NBC. But um, because broadcast reach is important and cable reach is important, so that's the strategic part of it. Um, but the rest of the business can be, you know, for ABC is tough. I mean, it's a, you're programming 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I, I don't know. 
you know, it was it was a really big surprise uh, to hear Bob Iger say that he was considering all options. Um, I don't know if, again, if there's some structure or if they really dispose of it completely. Now you've studied this for a long time. When you when when Iger makes the comments that he did, specifically about ESPN, and you know, I've talked to some people too, and you know, the read that I had on it maybe is that they already have somebody in place, and he wanted to tell the market we're open for business to see if he has a better offer. Um, do you read because like? Uh, you know, why do you have, you don't really necessarily need to publicize. Like you said, those are kind of, even though we know Iger's very, you know, he knows what he's doing and he's calculating in terms of what he's saying. Um, that's how I kind of interpreted why he did it. Do you have a theory about why he said that? And and is this, do you think this is what I'm saying here might have some credence? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty interesting because if you, if you know you're going down a path, why not see if there's anything else out there that might be different or that, that you haven't thought of that might be even more strategic or more uh, longer term, you know, a better growth driver. Um, you know, he's thrown things out to the public in the past, for example, general entertainment and Hulu and, you know, sort of walk back on that. General entertainment is important for streaming service. We know that there's almost nothing for me to watch on Disney Plus unless it's a Beatles documentary, you know, so you need general entertainment. But, um, it's an interesting theory and I think it's probably correct that it's a way to kind of put your, your, you know, you know, put yourself out there and see what what comes out of it. Jessica, when uh, Andrew and I launched this podcast uh, a a couple of years ago, you were on our short list of people that I definitely wanted to get on to interview because you you have such a, a, a good perspective of the business. I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. I am so flattered by that. Thank you for having me and thank you for your comments. This is really a pleasure. Thank Great. you, Justin. See you soon. Bye. John, I thought that was excellent. Uh, let's do some takeaways. You, know, you had a big story right after. Um, and I think a lot of people look to your, you know, what you what you write in terms of what could happen. I know you have really good sources in terms of the idea of private equity uh, for ESPN in terms of strategic partner. Um, Jessica mentioned Comcast uh, as a strategic partner. When you look at those kind of um, options, what are the pros, cons when, when you look at it? Uh, as possibilities. A private equity, uh, to me, the, the way that it was described to me is not just private equity money. It's also private equity management. So there, there's, a, you know, a, one of the private equity funds, you know, has a former Disney executives, um, Mayor and, Scott and Stags uh, in, in charge of it. So you're bringing over sort of people that understand Disney, understand ESPN and know about it. So it, it, if it were strictly a bank loan, let's bring in private equity and, and you know, they'll give us money and do whatever. That's, that, that's not what Iger wants. He wants a strategic partnership. And my, uh, some of the sources that I used for, for that story suggested that the strategic partnerships would come through private equity. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's not just money. What I found really interesting uh, from Jessica is that she gave voice to the rumors that have been, been around for a while. And that's Comcast and Disney uh, getting together. She talked about sort of all of the all the ways that they're similar. NBC can bring you know Golf Channel. It can bring all of its rights deals. It it, it can bring all of its uh you know the the Peacock streaming that it has as well. Uh, different distribution points. So like USA has, it carries um, uh, sports programming, and if they can bring that with ESPN, all of a sudden you have a place that has a lot of sports and becomes instantly the leader in sports rights as the rest of the industry sort of 
you know, shakes out and people figure out uh, the, the way forward and, and whether the way forward involves broadcast television and cable television or whether the way forward is strictly a direct to consumer. Uh, five years down the line, sort of taking ESPN and NBC, merging them into something while, while cord cutting its hits and, and, and incoming revenue gets hurt is an interesting way to look at it. It's something that I didn't hear when I made uh, when I made my phone calls, but but Jessica I thought was very good on that. And Jessica thought that uh, ESPN will find this strategic partner if they do uh, before the NBA deal is done. Uh, you think that's the timetable? Yeah, I think so. I think it, actually you you gave a good point. Like Iger, if he doesn't have a deal in place, he certainly knows who he wants to to bring in as a strategic partner already. I think that that's something that's going to happen relatively quickly, certainly before the the NBA deal comes down. Andrew, I, we, we could go on for, I think, another hour on, on this topic. I think it's so interesting. Uh, it's, it's the basis of our, our pod, but we have come to the end yet again of another pod. Thank you very much to Jessica Reef Ehrlich, who uh, was on my shortlist for a long time to get her on here. Such, she's been such an important analyst going back to the mid to the mid nineties, I used to write stories about her uh, and, and her thoughts on, on, uh, on the business. And I st I'm still doing the same thing now in you know, 2023. So thank you very much, Jessica, for coming on. Thank you. By the way, you're going to hear about this later on in the bloopers, but thank you, AC Wyatt for coming on camera on. So we see that he's in Ojai, California with blue skies and sunshine as, uh, as I'm sweating in, in uh, my basement in DC and you're in, uh, in New York. But uh, thank you, AC, who uh, helps to put this together. And of course, master of the board, Chris Mason, always uh, great to have you on. So if you can just review, give us the five stars. We appreciate it. And uh, John, talk next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Chad Finn from the Boston Globe tweeted out uh, something to the effect of nothing intimate. I can't say that word. Intimate? No. Intimate. Imminent. Right. Look at me giving you a blooper. Imminent. 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 AC just shows up at a... Hey, AC. Way, can, can we just say one thing? We see Wyatt is in Ojai, California. And uh, look at those blue skies there, AC. What's going on, man? Oh, just here enjoying our thought leaders. So uh, great, uh, great conference so far. Just had Scott Boris uh, join us and share some of his insight on being a super agent. So it's a good time here. It's funny because here's the thing. And this has to be for bloopers, right? But like, all right, so just so people understand, in the middle of the podcast, ACY just shows up. Um, <laughs> his picture just comes out. We're just talking. And usually like the um, behind the scenes people, they're, they're, they're not on. And I'm like, what, what, who's this movie star who just showed up on here? <laughs> looks like he's in Hollywood. Oh, I got jumped. My agent oh, this is show me the money. Absolute mayhem. All right, listen. I'm I'm in I'm in D.C. where it's 95 and humid. I'm sweating. I have the AC pointed right at me, and AC AC is sitting there. And uh, what's the temperature there, AC? Uh, I think it's like 75 right now. So it's not bad. Uh, I like the changes, but it's it's but it's a dry. Heat. <laughs> Great.